It was the beginning of a wondrous era of enlightenment, a time of transforming leadership across the widest fields of action, of creative revolutionary thought about human nature and liberty and equality and happiness, of ideas that thrilled readers of books and newspapers and echoed on the lips of the illiterate, ideas that brought conflict to courts and parliaments and clashes to city streets and remote villages. The Enlightenment Project would range over three centuries and migrate from the old world to the new and then around the globe. It would be vast, all-encompassing, cutting across collective life and action, empowering some leaders, destroying others, mobilizing poets and industrialists, factory workers and university students and people's armies. The ideas of the Enlightenment and the leadership and action they inspired would transform the world. Change was at the very root of this new era, and knowledge and freedom were change's twinned preconditions and outcomes. Together, Enlightenment and liberation raised men and women into a condition of possibility, the opportunity to better themselves and their world. And as the human mind becomes more enlightened over time, declared the French economist Turgot in 1750, the whole human race goes on advancing, although at a slow pace, towards greater perfection. Revolutionaries and innovators were inspired to push beyond the status quo in politics and government, science and technology, in entrepreneurship and the arts, in philosophy, in every field of human endeavor. The human mind was where revolution originated, breaking from a universe in which God was the final answer to any question, enlightenment philosophers moved attention to human beings as the measure of all things. Now, as Alexander Pope put it, the proper study of mankind is man, especially the human mind and its potentialities. The old philosophy held that the mind was furnished, top to bottom, by God, and mental submission to clerics was imperative, especially among the lower orders, when the alternative was an eternity of hellfire. But Enlightenment savants condemned these shackles on the human mind. They tested received ideas by the new, unflinching standards of empiricism. Science, previously erected on stilts of axioms and premises, was stripped to the ground. As the founder of the new science, Francis Bacon, insisted, man, being the servant and interpreter of nature, can do and understand so much and only so much as he has observed in fact or in thought of the course of nature. Only from close observation and careful experiment could the grandest theories be built. The conclusions of human reason, the general laws that governed nature, such as Isaac Newton's explanation of gravity, the empirical assault on dogma was the method not only of the natural sciences, but of such emerging disciplines as sociology, anthropology, and political economy that studied human life in all its complexities. 
For over a decade, Adam Smith analyzed financial data from all sources to create his groundbreaking account of the new capitalist economy in The Wealth of Nations. That fresh spirit of empiricism transformed the Enlightenment's understanding of the nature of thought itself. John Locke rejected the received doctrine that men had native ideas stamped upon their minds in their very first being. Instead, he described the mind of an infant as like a white paper, void of all characters, without any new ideas. The mind was all potential, like wax, according to Locke, to be shaped and vitalized by experience and education. In fact, the difference to be found in the manners and abilities of men is owing more to their education than to anything else. Great care, therefore, is to be had of the forming of children's minds, not least because enlightenment was critical to their preparation to live.